This is the Literary License Podcast, Classic Novel Episode. Dealing with classics you must read before you die, and finding new life in between the dusty covers. Exploring page to screen and everything in between with your co-hosts, Jesse Woods, Ricky Ray, Leandro Getzi, and Keith Chalgo, who ensure to bring the fun to an old stand. Hello, welcome to the Literary License Podcast, and today we're discussing Little Women by Louise May Alcott and the 1933 film Little Women, starring Katherine Hepburn. And before we get started, let's find out who's with us. First, we have Vicky Ray with us. Hello, Vicky. Hi, everybody. And Leandro Gazzi. Hello, Leandro. Hello. Hi, how are you? Well, I'm groovy. Hey. And before we get started, let's find out what we've been up to. Starting with Leandro, what have you been up to since last month? <laughs> yeah, uh, he's got a now, chance to say what he's been up to. <laughs> I'm working now, like every day, like before the all the lockdowns. Um, still, uh, I have finished to work, to sew everything in the allotment that I have. So I've not have been uh, eating few vegetables that are ready now, and I started to go back to the gym. So back on track. Gyms, yes. Mm-hmm. And what, what about yourself, Vix? What have you been up to? Not much. I've been talking to you more than I need to. <laughs> no, we've been been busy with you and doing those uh, couple of interviews for our little project. Um, just watching my typical horror stuff, trying to guess what Joe Bob's doing for tonight on for the the drive-in. Uh, uh, just getting ready for a couple of state races for Asher. And other than that, I'm getting a roof on right now because of storm damage. Hopefully they won't be pounding too hard where my microphone's going to pick it up. But not a whole lot since I've seen y'all last. Uh, let's see, myself, um, I watched The Kaminsky Method on oh, Netflix. Yeah. I, I forgot to look that up last yeah. night. I totally forgot. Mm-hmm. That's very, very good. And then um, other than that, haven't done a lot really. I've um, been doing interviews for the, um, the show for season five. And that's been really fun and interesting. Yeah. And yeah, just carrying on with life. So that's about it, really. That's right. Just get keep on keeping on. That's what all of us are doing. So So this brings us to Talking About Little Women, which is a coming-of-age novel written by the American novelist Louisa May Alcott, which was originally published in two volumes in 1868 and 1869. Alcott wrote the book over several months at the request of her publisher. The story follows the lives of the four March sisters, Meg, Joe, Beth, and Amy, and details their passage from childhood to womanhood. It is loosely based on the lives of the author and her three sisters. Scholars classify it as an autobiographical or semi-autobiographical novel. Little Women was immediately commercial and a critical success, with readers demanding more about the characters. Alcott quickly completed a second volume titled Good Wives in the United Kingdom, although the name originated from the publishers and not from Alcott. And it was also successful. The two volumes were issued in 1880 as a single novel titled Little Women, which is what we're covering as both volumes of that. Alcott wrote two sequels to her popular work, both of which also featured the March Sisters, Little Men from 1871 and Joe's Boys from 1886. 
The novel addresses three major themes, domesticity, work, and true love, all of them interdependent and each necessary to the achievement of a heroine's individual identity. According to Sarah Elbert, Elcott created a new form of literature, one that took elements from romantic children's fiction and combined it with others with sentimental novels, resulting in a totally new format. Elbert argues that within Little Women can be found the first version of the all-American girl and that her various aspects are embodied in the differencing of the March sisters. The book has been translated to numerous languages and frequently adapted for stage and screen. So what we're going to do is cut to the synopsis and we'll be right back. This is the synopsis for Little Women by Louisa May Alcott. Louisa May Alcott prefaces Little Women with an excerpt from John Banyan's 17th century work, The Pilgrim's Progress, an allegorical novel about leading a Christian life. Alcott's story begins with the four March girls, Meg, Joe, Beth, and Amy, sitting in their living room, lamenting over their poverty. The girls decide that they will each buy themselves a present in order to brighten their Christmas. Soon, however, they change their minds and decide that instead of buying presents for themselves, they will buy presents for their mother, Marmee. Marmee comes home with a letter from Mr. March, the girl's father, who is serving as a Union chaplain in the Civil War. The letter inspires the girls to bear their burdens more cheerfully and not to complain about their poverty. On Christmas morning, the girls wake up to find books, probably copies of the Pilgrim's Progress under their pillows. Later that day, Marmee encourages them to give away their breakfast to a poor family, the Hummels. Their elderly neighbor, Mr. Lawrence, whom the girls have never met, rewards the charitable activities by sending over a feast. Soon, Meg and Joe are invited to attend a New Year's party at the home of Meg's wealthy friend, Sally Gardner. At the party, Joe retreats to an alcove and there meets Lori, the boy who lives with Mr. Lawrence. While dancing, Meg sprains her ankle, Laurie escorts his sisters home, and the Marches regret having to return to the daily routine after the holiday festivities. Joe visits Laurie when he is sick and meets his grandfather, Mr. Lawrence. She inadvertently insults a painting of Mr. Lawrence in front of the man himself. Luckily, Laurie's grandfather admires Joe's spunk, and they become friends. Soon, Mr. Lawrence meets all the sisters, and Beth becomes his special favorite. Mr. Lawrence gives her his deceased granddaughter's piano. The girls have various adventures. Amy is caught trading lines at school and the teacher hits her as a punishment. As a result, Mrs. March withdraws her daughter from school. Joe refuses to let Amy go with her to the theater. In retaliation, Amy burns Joe's manuscript and Joe, in her anger, nearly lets Amy drown while ice skating. Pretty Meg attends her friend Annie Moffat's party and after allowing the other girls to dress her up in high style, learns that appearances are not everything. While at the party, she hears that people think she intends to marry Lori for his money. That year, the Marches form the Pickwick Club, in which they write a family newspaper. In the spring, Joe smuggles Lori into one of the club meetings, and he becomes a member, presenting his new circle with a post box. At the beginning of June, the Marches decide to neglect their housework. At the end of a lazy week, Marmee takes a day off, too. The girls spoil a dinner, but everybody ends up laughing over it. One day, Lori has an English friend over, and the Marches go on a picnic with them. Later, Joe gets his story published for the first time. One dark day, the family receives a telegram saying that Mr. March is sick in the hospital in Washington, D.C. Marmee goes to tend to him, and Joe sells her hair to help finance the trip. 
Chaos ensues in Marmy's wake, but the girls neglect the chores again. Only Beth goes to visit the Hamels, and after one of her visits, she contracts Scarlet Fever from the Hummel baby. Beth teeters on the brink of death until Marmy returns. Meanwhile, Amy spends time at Aunt Marsh's house in order to escape the disease. Beth recovers, though not completely, and Mr. Brooke, Lori's tutor, falls in love with Meg, much to Joe's dismay. Mr. Brooke and Meg are engaged by the end of Part 1. Three years have passed, and before Part 2 begins, Mr. March is home from the war, and Laurie is nearly done with school. Soon, Meg marries and moves into a new house with Mr. Brooke. One day, Amy decides to have a lunch for her art school classmates, but poor weather ruins the festivities. Joe gets a novel published, but she must cut it down in order to please her publishers. Meanwhile, Meg struggles with the duties of keeping house, and she soon gives birth to twins, Demi and Daisy. Amy gets to go to Paris instead of Joe, who's courted on her trip. Because their Aunt Carol prefers Amy's ladylike behavior in a, in, as a companion. Joe begins to think that Beth loves Lori. In order to escape Lori's affections for her, Joe moves to New York so as to give Beth a chance to, to win his affections. There, Joe meets Professor Bauer, a poor German language instructor. Professor Bauer discourages Joe from writing sensationalist stories and she takes his advice and finds a simpler writing style. When Joe returns home, Lori proposes to her, but she turns him down. Beth soon dies. Amy and Lori reunite in France and they fall in love. They marry and return home. Joe begins to hope that Professor Bauer will come for her. He does, and they marry a year later. Amy and Lori have a daughter named Beth, who is sickly. Joe inherits Plumfield, Aunt March's house, and decides to turn it into a boarding school for boys. The novel ends with the family happily gathered together, each sister thankful for her blessings and for each other. And that is the synopsis for Little Women. Hello, welcome back to Literary Legends Podcast, and we're discussing the novel Little Women by Louisa May Alcott. So, Leandro, what are your thoughts of Little Women? Um, <coughs> well, it's definitely <laughs> a book that I will read. I will read, you know, like, if I have to go to the library and choose something, um, I was a bit familiar about this story because when I was a kid, my sister used to, well, well, it was me and my sister because, you know, those days you couldn't, choose what you were watching it was just one one uh, one person who can choose and she used to watch a, a cartoon so I have more or less an idea I couldn't remember the story and I when I when I read the story I came like um, back um, yeah I don't know I don't know how to play <laughs> like play I, I, it's, I, it, I enjoy it but I, I wouldn't like read it like was a it's fair a choice. It's a girl book. Yeah. Um, I like one part that, that there was um, the neighbor doing something uh, great for one of them. And, you know, and everyone was like trying to help her. And that, that, that really, like it in one part seems to be really like superficial. And yeah, I don't know. Superficial. Um, what about yourself, Vic? What are your initial thoughts? Down with the patriarchy. <laughs> no. <laughs> it, it really, it was, seriously, it was just like, it was about women struggling, basically, in, was it, in, well, Civil War times, right? 
Yeah, yeah. At the end of the Civil War. Yeah, and it was uh, th- they had family duty, or they could grow personally, which was kind of hard. You had like two girls. Was it two? It was Meg and Amy? Well, they were the ones that were kind of vain, weren't they? They were kind of materialistic. Beth, I didn't yeah. know what to think about her because she was just like a martyr, basically. She was going to do everything familial duty that she could do. And I guess it was four different ways of women to be productive in that time frame, which, and you know, at the same time, women were starting to bust out of this, you know, I don't know, the, the dark period where they were property or couldn't own property or couldn't do this. And, and they had a lot of emphasis on domestic duty and, and family kind of detracted from certain things, but Joe wanted to be an author and she was also a tomboy, which was frowned upon back then, but they all tried to fit in in some way. And I think towards by what, well, you had, was it little wives? It was called the two books were joined and you have all this growth and all this sort of like rebel, you know, stuff going on where these women are just trying to find their niche in life for the most part. And they're trying to find how they're going to fit into this world because, like I said, women's roles were kind of changing at this time. They weren't great, but, you know, they were getting there. And when you got to the, the little little wives, it kind of, they seemed to have lost their luster for growth and for achieving as much. And they kind of settled into the, the, just the practical wife thing, you know, that was of that century. So... It just depends. I mean, it was an enjoyable book. I mean, it, it was a, it showed struggles and personal triumphs and stuff. So it had a little bit of everything, but it was a time frame book, and it was really more written for women. I would think. I can't see Leandro going out and buying five copies of it. Well, I have to then say what it kind of remind me of is a TV series like Little House on a Prairie or The Walton. Yes, exactly. Where every 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 chapter was like an episode. Mm-hmm. But, but they don't, but there's never really anything really connecting. So you kind of like, you know, you got like, you know, Amy struggle at school because of the pickled limes. And then well, maybe get- do you think that was because she kind of got forced into writing this book and her heart really wasn't into it or? Well, no, I think, I mean, the thing is, to be honest, I think it's, um, you know, it's probably one of the first novels is like this. And, um, and I mean, you know, I mean, if you look at the language of it and look at the other ones that we've written that were written around this time period, you have to sit there and say, this is probably one of the easiest books we've been able to read. As far well, as- yeah, I mean, it was yes. good. I will say that. There was no problem and, with that at all. And to me, I mean, you know, I know they gave all, you know, the, the modern novel. I, I would say Little Women is probably more closer to the modern novel than what we read so far. Yes. Um, but it's very episodic. And I mean, it's fine. It, and the only thing is, is that there doesn't, there's nothing that carries you from chapter to chapter do you know what i mean and it would have been quite nice to have a little bit of um chapter um, a little bit of chapter flow or some drama that would carry from point from the beginning of the book to the end of the book that so therefore it keep you more involved but it's kind of like dipping you know and each it's almost like each one had like its little own little fable or a little sto- little lesson to be learned You're like it doesn't matter you know you it, you know it's, it's not important to be vain what's important is what you think of yourself or money's not everything because even with poor times you can find love within your family and it's kind of like each chapter had like its own little um well actually they were rich prior and then when the civil war came yeah. i'm assuming that's when they lost their money 
And so they were trying to, and I, I forget what was with the limes. What happened with the limes? Oh, she uh, per, hit the limes. Lime a big thing, and they were trading. Oh, yeah. yeah. They were yeah. trading them in, and it's a good way to buy friendship. And, you know. Yeah. And then the one woman and the one girl who didn't um, that she didn't give a pickled line to is the one that squealed on her. So she got. OK, yeah. I I love citrus fruit for expensive. You need to be a good, a good, good now because you're not going to get in. <laughs> <laughs> right. And then, you know, because Amy was like more of an artist type. And then, um, mm-hmm. you know, cause didn't, when, didn't she draw like a horrible picture of the. The school teacher, anyway. Yeah, she got in trouble. Got in trouble. Is that what she got? They had to put the dunce cap on or something. Yeah. So I mean, so it's an int- I mean, it's an interesting book. Um, the second part of it, when they become wives, I mean, of course, we get, you know, I mean, you know, Little Women, the first book, probably took about two or three years to write, and then when it got the sequel, the sequel came out like a year later. So obviously, she rushed through the sequel to write it because you know it's like it's like with anything whether you're you know it's your it's your first um whether it's your first film or not your first film but your first recording you know your first record contract or whether it's your first um book you spend so much time perfecting that that when you write when when the second album or the second book comes up it does tend to lessen you know as far as quality goes it's very weird it's very rare that the second book or the second um, album is as good as the first. So this is the first book and there's another one, technically. Um, part two was a, the, was a sequel and they put the two novels. She did write Little Men and Joe's Boys. I mean, she went on to try to, you know... Oh, she did the All-American Girl series, too, did she not? Is this author as popular as Harper Lee? No. Well, she was in her time. I mean, Harper Lee came uh, came around a hundred years later. Uh, this is eighteen. Yeah, I think this is about eighteen sixty eight that this book was released. Yeah, so. it was. Yeah, and she did it. She because like Joe in the book, she was trying to get money to take care of her family. Yeah. So you know, there. I mean, she did kind of mingle a couple of personal factoids in there with her with her novel. I mean, that was probably hard during the civil war and after the civil war. Can you imagine? I mean, the chaos and I'm sure there were Yankees, weren't they? They were Yan- Yeah. They were in New England, weren't the they? South. They were Yankees. Yeah. Well, no, what they were in, what country, what, what, what state were they in? I can't remember now. It, 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 I remember they, they had snow and ice. So I'm assuming it had to, yeah. it said New England. I know it's a New England state okay. that I did know. So I'm yeah. assuming Massachusetts or maybe even New Hampshire. New Hampshire or Vermont. Because the thing is, I, ne- I never found out where exactly they were. It just seemed to be a bit vague. Exactly. Yeah, where they were. Well, I mean, obviously, was- Marmy is close enough to Washington where they can get there and back in some kind of amount of time where it isn't, you know, cross country. So. Yeah. Hmm. Well, I knew they were on like the eastern coast. I didn't know. I didn't know what state they were in, sort of thing. I mean, the, what's quite interesting is that um, you know, Little Women does question the validity of gender stereotypes, both male yes. and female. Because yes. I mean, you know, you have some delicate males, and then you have your rough and tough males, and then you had your, you know, and your various degrees of um, females as well, which I thought was quite ahead of its time considering that it's very ahead of its time because she didn't want like joe does not want to be a conventional female and Lori, that what's his first name that's his middle name Lori, the 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 the, the male interest there for at least two theodore, of theodore yeah. no 
He, he uses his name Lori as opposed to using his yes. real first name. Beginning, so he's in touch with his feminine side. So you do have a lot of that going on in here, and that is ahead of its time. So you'd be right on that. Well, I mean, if you look at, I mean, Lori. I mean, uh, Lori is not really a conventional man anyway. He wants no. to pursue music, and yeah. at the time where it was culture, that was a female thing. Females yeah. pursued music, you know, and men were like pursued business or war. Well, but how do you or... explain all the great composers? Mm-hmm. Because they were talented. Um, well, well it's different. <laughs> well, yeah, but he said that music is for men for women and not for men back then, which is true. They learned how to play the harpsichord or the piano, I mean, or anything like that. Yeah. You know, men weren't encouraged, I guess. No. And then if you look at Joe and Lori, which um, you know, interestingly enough, they don't end up together by the end, which I thought was interesting in itself. But it was quite interesting that they, because they're out of the norms of the gender stereotyping, that they 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 were able to, they always faced on obstacles. They didn't shy away from it. So they were very, very no. comfortable with who they were yeah. as well, which is quite nice, actually, that they were actually very, very comfortable with who they were. Well, they were kind of selfish, too, though, when you think about it, because remember when Beth gets scarlet fever and she goes to take care of the family that has a baby with scarlet fever, dies of scarlet fever, and was it Meg and was it, no, wait, Meg and Joe were, I didn't know that once she had scarlet fever, you couldn't catch it again, but um, they were immune to it and they sent Beth over. So, I mean, they're, they're just <laughs> little girls basically in this novel, aren't they? 15, 14. I think about, I think they're about the ages between about 13 and 18. Yeah, I think they, they're I imagine they were like... A range age of like eight till or nine till fifteen, something like that. Yeah, kind of left to their own devices because even the father isn't really in the picture much. You know, he sends him that one note telling them he's a preacher, isn't he? And he's telling them to be his little women and be forthright and do the right thing. But as women, don't grow, don't have personal growth, don't look out for yourself. <laughs> just, just do what your society expects you to. But yeah, the, I the think mother, like the mothers, I think, was a very strong character. Very strong. Yeah. They were more upset about mom going away to Washington than they were about the father possibly being ill in Washington, where she had to go get him or go sit with him. So mom was definitely the big, you know, the set, the focal point for the anchor of the mm-hmm. family, I would say. But she also gave them like lessons like you know i want you know it doesn't matter if you marry rich or poor just as long as you marry happy which is a nice message to make actually right and that uh, money you know money doesn't buy every everything and, and what matters is the people that you're with and there's all those kind of messages flowing through here so in a way that's quite they're quite nice messages i can understand why this book is set you know test you know it's mm-hmm. the test of time as far as that is concerned because yeah. those kind of moralistic views are you know, or stuff that you should learn, you know, right. value today. Oh, it definitely has some really good life lessons in it. I mean, there's really nothing in it that, you know, is obtuse or offensive or maybe back then. Don't I, I would imagine that a woman wanting to strive to be an author and stuff would probably be a little frowned upon maybe because that's not seemly. Maybe. Uh, I think it's at that time of in, in uh, the time where, this book is talking about it's like kind of like woman was like kind of get prepared to get married and be yeah. the the housewife if you see if you see the activities while well, living apart um joe she wants to be an actress 
and well, even if she was being an actress, she was performing um, a man, right? The right. character, well, and she's it's a like, boy. yeah, mm. and it's like one one wanted to be like kind of the perfect housewife, like being like have a lot of money, and the other one was like, I don't know, like knitting or I don't know, doing embroidery and all that, those things, right? Mm. Yeah. I think um, it's like it show you the know what was happening at that time. I think also what you find also is the necessity of work is a very important issue throughout mm-hmm. this book as well. That basically um it's it's your daily work and your daily routine that builds character and mm-hmm. I thought that was quite interesting and he, and even like even if you want to accomplish one of your dreams you're going to have to work. You have to work for everything and every and what a I concept. have to say that, that is a very American way of looking at things, actually. So right. Little Women is very, very American because, you know, I say it to people over here. It's like, and I'm, you know, growing up in American and then growing up in like the English culture sort of thing. And here they'll wait until they get the perfect job before they'll go to work. Um, you know, a lot of people that were, you know, were born and raised here. But um, in America, we're taught no matter what you do, McDonald's is always hiring. <laughs> That's what we're taught. It's like, it doesn't matter what they you do. They are. Everybody is hiring right now. Everybody's hiring right now, just so that everybody knows. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But, I mean, but, that, but that's the way that we're raised in America is that no matter right. what, you, it doesn't matter what's happening. I don't care if you're cleaning streets. I don't care if you're cleaning offices. I don't care if you're cleaning toilets. I don't care if you're working in fast food. All that matters is that you're working. You got to be doing something. Well, it does say that when they don't engage in any productive work, you know, they, they end up feeling guilty and or remorseful because of that. So it so work ethic is definitely a big deal. Even if you don't have a lot of money, it's st- no matter. I mean, it, I guess the, the the focus of the book is you don't need a lot to make you happy, but you have to work for it, which is what Keith was saying. Mm. And they they go on to it's a what's it almost puritanical, like you said at this point, because that's just the way the country was founded. It's holy yeah. to work. Yeah, there was one part of the, the as you say, Keith, the the mom is saying some. The mom is saying to them like, kind of like, um, like rich people has their their own worries too. Yeah. And there's something that kind of like, like kind of you can buy, um, kind of being proud of who you are by doing something right, um, of of, of what you earn, like doing something like good, um, yeah. But I think it was a really nice message. Well, you also notice that if something happens, and let's say, like when the mom went to Washington D.C. to take care of the husband and the and the girls, basically got really lazy with the with the um, housework and the chores, and then everything falls apart, doesn't it? So whenever they are lazy, there is that lesson that when you are lazy, everything falls apart because the couple. A few times that they decide that, oh, we're going to shirk our duties. We're not going to do what we have to do. Everything does fall apart. And then yeah. and then they have to, like, work extra hard to fix everything that fell apart. So there's also that message, which is kind of true, that if something happens, you let something, you know, it's a bit like if you dust once a week, you're probably quite fine. But if you, du- if you dust once a month, it's going to be a lot more work sort of thing. So we have that message. I live in Texas. It's dusty all the time. <laughs> I mean, another another thing that Little Women does teach us, and it it, it, do, it goes to great pains to teach us this lesson that it's important to be genuine. Yeah. And 
and we get like the March sisters who are quite genuine, really. And then when they aren't genuine, there's a price to be paid. But then they're compared to like the the, the well the well to do set, you know, whether it's Amy Moffat or Sally Gardner, or and all the other, you know, and the other people who you know who are kind of rich and who are not genuine with it. And I thought that was quite a nice message as well. It doesn't matter who you are or what you do. It just there's just so long as you're genuine about yourself. Which is right. and also a nice message to get as well. And then, you know, Meg and Amy are always constantly struggling with vanity and trying to overcome that. Um, right. You know, but, you know, but Amy does turn down Fred Vaughn um, on his marriage proposal, right. even though he is rich because she doesn't love him. So, you know, so she does learn a lesson here that everything, everything's money oriented, you know, whether it's Christmas and, you know, I'm going to. I'm going to buy my mom a small, a small thing of c- cologne and that way I'll still have money for myself. And then, of course, at the end of the day, she you know, sacrifices her whole dollar to. Right. Was it Amy who the one was holding on to the turquoise ring because that way she had it on? She'd know that not to be what's the word superficial or greedy. Yeah. And she really worked hard to get that ring. What was from for her aunt March? I believe the old the old lady. Everybody didn't want to spend time. with. <laughs> Now, another thing that's quite interesting is that Louisa May Alcott actually wrote Little Women as a the, the all-American tale about how being American is better than being the European culture part. That's because we're more comfortable and happy with our cozy little New England home than our big Parisian castles and mansions. Well, it said that Americans at the time did not mind having coming from humble beginnings and did not crave titles or other superficial trappings of wealth. Uh, Americans only wanted only what they deserved and believed that they deserved depending on how hard they worked. So, you know, that's quite an interesting message when you think about it at that time, you know, because, you know, this is only this is less this is about 100 years after we broke away from England, that America became its own government. So. I still think we had a little grudge we were grinding an axe for at that point because we wanted to get so distanced from that whole culture at that time. And now we just can't get enough of the royal family over here. <laughs> can't get enough of Meghan and Harry in the States. Do you recall that is their, their last name is March? Connected that in March is the International uh, Women's Day? I don't know. I was thinking now I turned around the book and I thought, well, maybe it's because of that. Who knows? Well, you never maybe know. Women's Day became because of this book. Because so. it is considered one of the greatest feminist novels yeah. for its time period. Yeah. And I do, I not so much what happens. I don't know what goes on now, you know, but I it's know. It's more that of an awakening novel, really. It's one that a lot of female girls read around their teenage years, I find. You know, yeah, I mean, I've never, this is the it. first time I've read it. So, um, you know, it, for me, it felt like it was like each chapter is like watching an episode of Little House on a Prairie for me. It is. That, that's <laughs> a good analogy because it's exactly what it is. Kind of, sort of. Yeah, but it did miss, you know, Mrs. Olsen and Nellie. I mean, <laughs> yeah, it needed, you need to have a Nellie in there somewhere. <laughs> well, not Little House on a Prairie. Wasn't they Sally were my Gardner favorite episode. <laughs> I wasn't... <laughs> I wouldn't Sally do Gardner. press about Laura and Mary and the Ingalls family. I just wanted the townsfolk. <laughs> <laughs> uh, now, there's a lot of symbolism in the on the book as well. Umbrellas play a big symbolism, where yeah. where men, if men um, offer a woman an umbrella, they're 
offering to shield them or to protect them. Yeah. And whenever um, the one of the March sisters refused the umbrella, it means that they didn't want that man to protect them or shield them from anything, which I thought, oh, which wow. is quite an interesting thing as well, considering that umbrellas shield you from the rain and protect you from the rain. So that was yeah. quite nice. I and can hold Ber- my own umbrella. <laughs> <laughs> And burning seemed to be a big thing in here as well. Whenever burning happened in there, whether it's the burning, any burning um, Joe's manuscript or other burning in this, they were, you know, they represented like anger and burning burning desire or or like they had a burning desire. There was like this geniusness going on it, which is quite. Which is quite bizarre, actually, because, I mean, for me, I guess I would always think considered um, burning to be um, destructive. <laughs> Could be also a purifying thing. Yeah, purifying as well. Mm-hmm. Although I'd rather use water. I mean, I did find that um, music seemed to be another motif that was right. used in this, that, you know, it seemed to bring them all together and that they all were all the force daughters and the mother all had were fine a voice so and that kind of bring people together and it was a way for them to form bonds with each other and when days are bad they sing and they make them happy if days were good they sing to be joyous and well it's not like they had xbox or cable tv or netflix back then so i mean they read and they sang as entertainment i mean that's just the way that the culture was back then and and most of the most of the women folk probably would be alone and have to you know take care of the homes because this was the Civil War and even after Reconstruction and all that stuff started I mean there was a lot of people didn't come home you know that was a mm. brutal war. Well, another thing that Little Women has is all about teaching. Yeah, I mean if you look at the father, he's a congregational minister. You got the, the mother is the wife of a transcontinental um, minister. So she's teaching what her husband's taught her and teaching it to the children. The girls marry teachers. And, um, you know, and and then at the end, Joe opens up a school for boys. So it's all about teaching, isn't it? Which is quite interesting. Teaching lessons. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Um, What did you think about the the teacher hit um, Amy in her hands? I think they should bring that back. No, I'm. Mean, <laughs> <laughs> no, but they, I, I they mean, actually used to do, they used to do that up until um, about the eighties, nineties, eighteen eighty. Yeah, that, that's what, that's where where I was going because I remember when I was in school, but it, it it didn't happen. But my dad used to tell me that I think in his time it used to happen. So it was nineteen. <laughs> Let's say seventies, maybe something like that, late sixties, probably. So it was like I don't know. Each country, you know, was like maybe this day the thing go faster due to internet. But in those days, maybe the the progress that was in one country and another was like late later was happening. Mm. So I don't know. I I, I I I was thinking about asking about what do you think? Um, the problem with I mean the thing is. The problem basically is with corporal punishment in schools is that it's only as good as the teacher sort of thing. So if you got like a really nasty teacher, they would actually overdo it. If you had like a good, we had corporal punishment in our schools, as you all know. 
Yeah, I mean, but if they, but they're a good teacher, and then chances are they would only use it if, if all else fails. And yeah. then there are other teachers that would do it for shit just at the very beginning. Before they, we had a teacher that basically would just throw right an eraser at you. <laughs> You're talking like, boof. Like I used <laughs> to have sailing across the room. Sister Esther yeah. used to hit me with dictionary. <laughs> and look at look at you now. Look at me. There's nothing wrong with me at all. I turned out fine. Reading novels like that. (laughs) I mean, I guess, you know, the thing is, I don't think corporal punishment is a bad thing. Unfortunately, is that. It could be a bad thing. Misused. Yeah. And it tends, it tends to, you know, you kind of, you kind of, it's funny, but you always remember the, you always remember the teachers who misused it. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> They're the ones that kind of stay with you for the rest of your life. And I mean, the thing is, it's kind of funny, but at the time that, you know, would you ever receive any of these kind of punishments, other your, you know, teachers, you know, raising you up by your ear and dragging you down the hallway or whatever. Or like, your hair yeah. in third grade. Yep. Mm-hmm. I remember that too. And, <laughs> yeah, mine was yeah. Mr. Powers. And the thing is, but you, <laughs> the thing is, you remember these teachers for the rest of your life. I I mean, it's humiliating and horrible at the time, but now you kind of laugh at it. I know. Well, yeah, it's well, funny now. I re- I remember the two things when I was at school. Like sometimes uh, there were never um, physical uh, punishment, but maybe they ask you you know, to stand up and go to the front, and maybe you will have to be standing there. And I don't know. They they were doing like few like fifteen minutes, ten minutes. Stand in the uh, corner. Yeah, no, not in the corner. Maybe standing up and being there, right? Um, or, or maybe if you have to talk about something, you know, like um, they were asking you questions, like a kind of exam, but um, for all the whole class, or so they were asking you things that you have to be on the front, and then maybe the professor will go back to the back. So it's kind of like you're kind of giving a lecture to everyone, right? Um, yeah. And I remember once they were like, sometimes they used to ask you to leave the room, so you were staying outside of the the whole class not knowing what was going on but I remember once I was in secondary school and I think they took two or three students outside and then they were scared they went to play football (laughs) 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 they were not there (laughs) (laughs) so then they stopped doing that (laughs) we had a coach at IHC remember coach Leduke he he must remember him a little bit roughly I didn't think I used to send all the boys to coach Leduke when they were bad yeah, I actually got out of gym class in IHC, so. You don't know how you pull off half the crap you did. <laughs> I guess um, we talked mainly about the beginning of the book. Well, I guess let's talk about part two of the book where they right. start getting married and the death of Beth, which to be honest, I mean, when she died, I didn't really feel that much of a loss for her because she was kind of a mousy character. Anyway. She reminded me of Olivia de Havilland in Gone with the Wind. She, what was, remember her, what was her name? Oh my God, I'm, I can't remember. Uh, Melanie. Melanie. Melanie, Melanie. yes. Yeah, you know, Melanie was oh, the same thing, yeah. mousy, mousy, and so self, she didn't talk a lot, she wasn't, but she was the smartest of the bunch, basically, though. You know, the thing is that when I watched Gone with the Wind recently, because I thought, oh my God, they're going to ban it, so I'll watch it because I'm probably not be able to see it again, but they haven't banned it, but I did watch it all four hours of it. I and love I it. Say that. Four hours. Gone with the Wind. Yeah, it's four hours long. I have never seen it, but whoa, whoa. it's it's a it's a brilliant film. Actually, I it loved it. And like this. Um, but I have to sit there and say that when I was watching it, and the thing is, I 
I mean, I've seen it before, and I always like a Melanie is like, you know, the mousy one or whatever like this. Right. Watching it this time around is like, I actually prefer Scarlet because you ever you know where you stood with Scarlet. Yeah. Melanie, she's conniving little cow. I'm sorry, yeah. but this is like she's not uh, a little bit. It's, she's just passive aggressive all the way well, through. Know, yeah, passive but, aggressive. But you would have thought that she would have come down hard on Scarlet after she gets caught with Ashley Wilkes in the kissing booth, so to speak. You know, because you had the mean ants. That's like, oh, there's Scarlet and there's yeah, Ashley. But she does, Wilkes. But she does does, but she does it another way. She kills her with kindness, which is even worse. <laughs> she actually loved her, I think. And she couldn't possibly think that Scarlet would do anything wrong. But, oh, I think I think she did. You know, I, th- I just thought Olivia that I'm Kaplan be- had a mouth like a stormtrooper. Yeah. <laughs> she was not mousy in real life. But see, I think I think Melanie basically knew exactly what she was doing, and she knew exactly that if I play, you know, if I played the victim and be all sweet and sweet and stuff like this, I'll, you know, every- I guess that's a way of looking at it. Yeah, because it's, it's funny though when I saw it the first time around, I was like, oh, she's a victim, da da da, not victim and like millennial victim, but right. this victim. But then when I watched this time, I was like, oh my god, she's actually conniving. She knows exactly what she's doing. She's not I sweet. I see her that way. I thought she what? just loved Scarlet so much that she couldn't think that Scarlet would do anything wrong, let alone seduce Ashley. Watch it again with that mindset I gave you, and it's funny. I'll but watch it, it again. It just... Well, the thing is, like, Ashley was such a wet blanket. I don't understand why they want to fight over such a wet noodle like him. Uh, I have I never know. understood that, why women fight over men like that. Now, Rhett Butler, I could get it. Everybody needs to fight over Rhett because he's like a man's man you know kind of thing yeah but that's what Beth reminded me of Olivia de Havilland and Gone with the Wind Mm. Melanie yeah and then she was always very very shy and she's very you know you know you like you know when she got to know Miss you know Laurie's grandfather and it was kind of like you know hiding behind the girls you know petticoats and so on and so forth so I mean it it was an I mean it was interesting I the the three sisters are very, very distinctive, and I have to give Louisa May Alcott that, that she's made sure that each of the three um, sisters are very, very distinct sort of thing. But um, what do you think about them getting married at the end, Leandro? Do you think they got, do you think it was a cop-out for the book, or, you know, especially with Joe getting married, or do you think it was kind of a natural way to happen for them? Mm, yeah, natural way, I think. I don't know. I mean, there was kind of there were. It was something that you expect that it was going to happen. But that, like, um, yeah, I would say, like, yeah, that it was, like, you can expect that that thing was going to happen, one way or the other. I mean, I think that. Um, I mean, we knew that Meg was going to get married anyway. I thought it was a nice twist to get Amy married off to Lori. I thought that because I didn't see that coming at all. Because I didn't think that that there's, you know. Well, they ended up in Europe together, didn't you? Kind of see that happening because she turned down the other guy, that the fr- Frank because he was rich and she just didn't want to marry him because he was rich and Lori just happened to seem like a convenient love interest. Well, I mean, I guess, I guess when I meant when I said that I didn't see them, you know, that, that coming together, I mean, once they got in Europe, I mean, that's different. But the thing is, like, there's really no interaction between Amy and Lori throughout the whole book whatsoever. Well, she was a little girl then, wasn't she? Like 12, yeah. maybe? Yeah, but I mean, like, you know, there's the, you know, the Meg interest in Lori. There's maybe Beth interested in Lori. But there's not, there's, you know, it's almost like, um, but... You know, but there's no there's no interaction about Amy and Lori whatsoever. Of course, when they wound up 
when they wound up in Europe together. I mean, and let's face it. I mean, they were brought together through grief of Beth's death, really, weren't they? So, you know, because she could, Amy couldn't get home. The mom told her to stay in England. I mean, stay in Europe. And she come across Lori and Lori gives her a shoulder to cry on sort of thing. And because it's, it's a bit of home coming, coming to where you are. So that way it makes grieving a little bit easier when you're in a foreign country. So, I mean, you know, that came together. I thought, you know, I mean, it was a nice marriage. Meg, Meg married the right people. I and mean, they all married the right people for them. I mean, Joe, um, you know, Joe, even when, even the person she married, I mean, he was a bit older than she was, but it was someone that was going to marry her on her own terms and meet her. So it's not going to be anyone that she's not going to be anyone that's going to be owning Joe. That's like a partnership marriage, which is quite nice. So even though, right. and, and I can understand why you kind of have to marry them off because they, you either married at that time or you were a spinster. Yeah, it was kind of a stigmatizing thing for the day. But, you know, on the other hand, they kind of, especially Joe, she just kind of does the married wife thing. And I found it as a kind of like a big letdown as opposed to the beginning of the novel, which was a separate because they but all had these hopes. She doesn't give up anything, does she? She doesn't it give just, up a writing career. Well, it just seemed like that's just the way it was back then. You had to get married. It didn't mean how progressive you wanted to be. You had to get married because that mm, just was expected yeah. of you. You got married to help take care of the family, basically. And, you know, she kind of, I guess Joe didn't even really marry well. Well, well, actually, she kind of was okay because she got the house, um, the old house that, that um, yeah. Aunt Marge yeah, lived in, and house. they turned it into a school for boys. So, I mean, and they she, did, yeah, it's a little progressive for society and women, I guess. Well, I mean, the thing yes. is, I mean, I didn't see that. I didn't see this Joe selling out because the thing is, Joe... I mean, I think if she was selling out, she would have married Lori, her best friend, which, you know, she didn't, she didn't for various reasons. Well, like the mom said, they were too much the same. They wouldn't, it would have never worked. They would have button heads constantly, probably. And then the person that she does marry is someone who loves her for her mind and her writing. And that actually makes her writing better. Um, Wasn't he critical uh, of her, though? He he was critical of her writing, not critical of her as a person, critical of her writing. And, you know, what he said, he goes, no, you need to simplify your stories. You need to be, a, you know, you, you know, he, she, he, she goes, well, you know, you know, it's hard to be Shakespeare. He goes, no, just be Joe. Just be yourself. You don't need to be another Shakespeare. We got a Shakespeare. You just need to be Joe March. Right. And, and then um, she rewrites her book, which becomes with sells. Um, she gets a publishing deal, sells well for her. Um, of course, she goes home because of Beth's death. And then um, he comes after her. And she kind of he marries her on her own terms. She gets she she's still going to be Joe. She's just going to be married, but it's going to be married to a guy that's going to let her be who she wants to be. She doesn't have to be what he wants her to be. She's going to be who she wants to be, just a better version of herself. But there's still that societal element that that really that did put the boot on the neck of female existence back then. I mean, I, I well, just, men, men had to get married as well, though. It's, it's a two, yeah, it but a, I mean, two, they two, were they, so. but women were in a caste system, if you if you like, you know. I mean, they had to. Mm. Well, actually, they could marry up. They were socially mobile. But I mean, they were just expected. They weren't expected to have brains. They were expected to marry well. I mean, that's just not really. I mean, knowing what I know now as a two thousands woman, I guess or whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, all the opportunity we have now, as to, opposed to then. And but I just but so the Mark hard. sisters didn't marry for money, though. At the end, did they? They married for love. 
Yeah. Money doesn't uh, suck, though. So, I mean, so I guess, um, so they did keep to their own moral systems. You know, they didn't, they didn't, you know. I mean, they could have done the whole Pride and Prejudice and Mr. Darcy and all that kind of crap. I really, right. I'm, not, I'm not a Jane Austen fan whatsoever. Yeah. So no. Apologize no. to the many of her fans. Well, but, I didn't mind Pride and Prejudice, but. Oh, I just thought, that's basically women wanting to marry rich. Didn't matter yeah. if they fell in love. They wanted well, to that's really all it was about, wasn't it? I mean, it was all about. You know the yeah it was and which which is an English novel but then if you look at the American which this came out the same time <laughs> which is like no you marry for love marry for if you marry for love it doesn't matter if they're rich or poor all that matters is that you'll be happy you need you need to marry for happiness yeah. and I guess um, what we do get in the second part of this is that we do get that message that they all married for love and they all married to be happy. So, and what, and you, so what the mom, what the mother, what the mother told them, like she, they got the message. Yeah, yeah, basically, and you know, and I had to then say that the husbands that they marry to do suit them. They do. Meg's husband suits hers. You know, um, um, Amy, Amy and Lori are fine because Amy's going to need someone that's going to test her, and Lori's got the patience of a saint, so that's going to yes. that's going to work well. And as far as Joe is concerned, I, she married someone that's she's she's still going to be Joe. I mean, she's just she'll be just a married version of Joe, but she's still going to be Joe. I mean, it's her idea to open the school for boys. It's her idea to be a teacher, and she gets to teach and she gets to do her theater and write her plays and write her books, and she's still going to continue writing. So she's doing everything, and and I guess running a school because she'd be running a school full time, she'd probably just get people into like clean the house floor because she didn't like that part of it anyway. So she. But we she wouldn't have <laughs> the right to vote up until a hundred years. Actually, this weekend, you know, it was a, yeah, it was a hundred years this yeah, weekend. A, women finally got ever happened, and it world. took fifteen more <laughs> years for ladies, and it took fifteen more years for ladies of color, or was it fifteen or twenty after? You know, uh, white women were allowed to vote for the, for for women of color and ethnicity to vote. So, I mean, we've come a long way, baby. Okay, what are our final thoughts of Little Women, the novel overall? And starting with you, Vix. I think it's a good novel. I mean, I, it's it's a chick flick novel kind of thing, you know. I mean, I can't. I I, I know that poor Leandro probably suffered through it. I'm just looking at his face. <laughs> but um, it, it's actually not a bad. I mean, it really does put you in the relevant era of women and coming of age for these girls and making <clears throat> decisions. You know, it's got, it's about familial duty and duty to oneself. So, I mean, as far as, for, I mean, I had to read it when I was a small young woman. I mean, I think a lot of little girls kind of start off with this novel. I mean, it, it's a cool novel if you're younger, you know, knowing what I know now, I would probably say down with the patriarchy yet again, but no, I mean, it's a good novel. I think all little girls should read it or women for that matter. And if men are in touch with their feminine side, such as your good selves, they will read it too. Maybe. Um, what about yourself, Leon? <laughs> um, well, I, well, we read before this of the picture of Dorian Gray. 
where where I found mm -hmm. it a bit like going like slow, you know, like the story is like, come on, man, stop describing. I don't know how is the cup and go through the story. This right. one I like it because it was like easy to read, right? Like faster, right. the details goes like straight in your in your mind, and I like it because like have every every like chapter is like a little story, so you you're not like reading forever about something. Right. Um, I mean. No, I'm, 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 I, I like the story. I mean, and, and I think it's a really cool to give you like a, a view of how was the things at that time and make me think, you know, like in my personal case, like I remember my grandma when I was uh, really, really, I think it was like four, between four and nine years old that we start to find things that she, she has done when she, when she was married, like embroidery and, and linen, you know, for the, But all like, you know, made by Hannah, even things uh, made uh, by her mom. And I remember that my dad used to tell me, you know, how, how what used to be when, when he was growing up. And it was really interesting because it's like I, I could link it with a lot of things that were happening in this story. The, my, my grandma used to watch uh, something, some programs on TV or read certain magazines that were specifically for housewife, right? And we're like kind of like teaching how to cook, how to read and how to be kind of like be the, well, they used to call it like the heart of the house, right? Right. right that, that was not the, the, the heart of the house. That was the authority of the house. So kind of like that thing of like, who is the, the bad one and the good one, let's say. Um, so no, I enjoyed the story. No, I, I really like it. And also to tell you about the house was like the, that this story in like in that particular time and place. So yeah, I wouldn't read it again, but I like it. <laughs> I wouldn't read it again. I think myself, I think I kind of, I think this is a book that should be read at bedtime and you read one chapter every night before you go to bed. And I think that yeah, this is how I agree with that. Yes. Um, unfortunately for myself is that I actually thought this was a short book. So I thought, So I gave, well, I, thought, oh, I, could read, I could read this in a week and I realized that I actually was, <laughs> yeah, I spent a lot of, I actually had to like, I spent, you know, like three to four hours a day reading this and that's, yeah, I thought, oh, I just, oh, I'll be able, I'll be able to get this off in a couple of days. It's not a problem. And then when I was reading it, I realized that it was episodic, which is not a bad, it's, no. it's not a bad thing whatsoever, but you know, I can understand why this is probably read to you know, parents read it to their daughters, you know, a chapter before they're going to bed because it, it, it kind of deserves that kind of thing where you can read each chapter, reflect mm -hmm. on that chapter, move on. And you kind of get like, yeah, I said before, like Little House on a Prairie or an episodic television series. I think that, I think it's a very important book. I think that it teaches people to, it teaches you to be genuine, be true to yourself. It doesn't matter how rich or poor you are. All that matters is what kind of person you are. And I mm -hmm. think that, you know, those values and lessons that, you know, from a book that's written in 1800 should be very, very much alive today, which is something that we tend to forget. I mean, you know, we're in a era of social media where it's all about your looks and filtering yourself and how everything's supposed to be and what you're supposed to be. And this book is not about what you're supposed to be. It's about who you are. And it's I thought that was quite a nice growth. message. Yeah, and then you can do that through personal growth. And, you know, and, you know, and another important thing about this book that I thought was quite, 
important is that none of them are victims of their situation. If they do something wrong or they find themselves in a bad situation, you take ownership, you take responsibility for it, you learn from it, and you move forward. And I thought that was a very, I I thought the lesson was very, very good. So, words to live by own it. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, you're right. And I like that that thing that. For example, the mother was also you know, telling, you know, like good advices. Um, for example, like when it started, they, they were they went to to the house in Christmas time. They went to the house of people that were living in a really really bad situation, the poor, and then help them out, you know, and cook something something for them. Like I kind of they donate their their breakfast, and it kind of make them understand that like, okay, maybe you're complaining because oh no, this Christmas you're not having what you like. But there are people that maybe are not having a, not this Christmas, like every day. Well, yeah. I mean, that's also an important lesson to learn as well, that even though you might be going through a bad time, there's always someone going through something worse. Oh, there's always, no matter always what somebody suffering more or worse, you know? And, and, you know, the thing is, it's not, you know, the world's not about you. The, the world is, you know, the world is about being kind to each other, showing compassion to each other. And, basically you know be a good person if you're a good person the world will, you know the world will turn out right for you you just have to be good and take ownership and learn you know do what you have to do and i think i think the messages in this book are universal and they're great and they're yeah. great messages so brings us to Little Women, the 1933 film. Now, Little Women is a pre-code drama film directed by George Cooker and starring Katherine Hepburn, Joan Bennett, Francis D., and Jean Parker. The screenplay was by Sarah A. Y. Mason and Victor Herman. It's based on the 1869-1869 two-volume novel of the same name by Louisa May Alcott. This is the third screen adaption of the book. It was followed two silent versions, the first released in 1917 with Minnie Gray and the second in 1918 with Dorothy Bernard, which were both silent. After this 1933 sound version came the 1949 version of Little Women with June Allison, Elizabeth Taylor and Peter Lawford, and 1994 film with Little of Little Women starring Winona Ryder, and of course the 2009 film that came out last couple of years ago um, featuring say Ronan. Um, so what we'll do is cut to the trailer and be right back to discuss Little Women from 1933.
don't have to go to that nasty old Davis's school with impertinent girls who laugh at your dresses and label your father if he isn't rich. Libel, libel. Don't say label as if Papa were a pickle bottle. I know what I mean, and you needn't be satirical about it. It's proper to use good words and improve your vocabulary. Aren't we elegant? He looks pretty grim, but I shouldn't be afraid of him. Though I can see how his face might frighten some people. Thank you, Mom. But my face would frighten some people. Oh, I only said might, sir. But with all that, you like me, eh? Oh, yes, sir, I do. I do, I do. And I like you. happy old times can't come back. And we shouldn't expect them to. Oh, oh that, that trip to Europe that you so looked forward to, oh, that is too bad. That's a, that's a cruel disappointment. And on the top, the stupid professor comes blundering and, and, and makes things worse. Oh, but Joe, I think I'll be homesick for you, even in heaven. If you... Really want Bessie. Please wait until Mommy comes home. But oh God, please don't. Welcome back to the Literary oh. License Podcast. And we discussed the 1933 film, Little Women. So starting with you, Vix, what's your thoughts of Little Women, the 1933 film? I really liked it. Well, I like the old silver screen stuff. I have a hard time disliking any of them. But, you know, I, I think it was me. I was talking to you about it, about Catherine Hepburn. She was just like really overdoing the Joe part, though. I love Catherine Hepburn. Don't get me wrong. But, oh, my God, she was just so out there, even for Joe, I think. I, but then again, you know, go big or go home with with uh, Catherine Hepburn. But I, I thought that it tried to stick to the story or at least condense the story as best it could. I thought they did a good job doing that, actually. I love the old silver screen image. I thought it was beautifully filmed, you know, and I really got a kick out of seeing Joan Bennett so young, you know, because after all these years, I did not realize it was Joan Bennett. I'm realizing I didn't realize a lot of things in my old age. When you say Joan Bennett is a singer. No, no, Joan Bennett, she plays uh, the matriarch in Dark Shadows. She plays. We covered Dark Shadows in one of our other episodes, and she's the main actress in that, but she's older. This is like years yeah, and she's just a little and, um, thing. If you're into horror films, Joan Bennett did uh, one of the most classic Italian horror films called Suspiria. She's in that. So, and what about yourself, Leandro? What do you think of the film? Yeah, as as, as Biggie said, that that actress was really like over exaggerated, and it was really weird because yeah, because it was one the the one that was playing. Uh, I think her name was Amy, the little one. Like it was like 30 years old playing to be someone that is really, really small. That was really well, weird. See, they were all really young for this, though. I mean, I, I didn't realize that. Who was it? Uh, oh, not Gene Parker. Who played? Well, 
Who played uh, is Joan, but not Joan Bennett, but who played Beth? Francis D. Was that her? Yeah. Where are all these really, really famous actresses? I don't know. I don't know any of them. So. Oh, you. Well, probably- Catherine Hepburn. Catherine Hepburn is Joe. Yeah. I have heard the name, but I haven't seen it. I don't think yeah, I've seen it. Blue again, you know, on Golden Pond and all that. Stuff. Yeah. Joe Bennett is Amy. I mean, they were, they were, they were all quite. Newest, I mean, um, Catherine Hepburn would explode after this sort of thing. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, Joan Bennett playing Amy, the youngest one, I think she must have been a bit too old, considering that she didn't tell anyone that she was pregnant when she was filming this, and they had to was keep hiding she? her pregnancy. I did not find that little interesting factoid. Yeah, they had to keep hiding her pregnancy. How do you know all these all these details? Because I do my we... research. Yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> but um but yeah so there's that um i have to agree that um i think katherine hepburn was it's almost like she was on speed or something she was just like well katherine hepburn is real you know it was like something she was trying to prove you know one cool thing about this movie is the rko released it at the perfect time because depression audiences at that time we're not wanting to see all the vulgarities of riches and, you know, lifestyles of the rich and famous. They wanted to see simple, you know, and, and less auspicious, you know, view of the world, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And I think it came at a good time. It was a successful film. Mm-hmm. I also have to sit there and say that it's, it's quite ingenious that George Cooker is known as the female director. You know, he, Female actresses love working with George Cooker, and he knew how to film them, and he knew how what kind of roles they should have, and stuff like this. He also did the women and various other films as well, and always with strong female characters. And I thought that was interesting that with the March sisters, if you watch the film again, um, that what you'll notice is that the clothes that they're wearing that you that they start out with, you notice that the clothes, the same clothes that they're wearing, get moved from sisters sisters yes. each other's clothes I'm, they, he did definitely pay attention to that detail i will say <laughs> and, I, I, mean, and I, I thought that was fantastic considering that you know normally what you would get with a hollywood production is like oh you know you never seen the same clothes twice and god forbid it'll be on another actress here is like to emphasize that they are struggling financially yeah. that you know like, you know and that's what happens when you're um, with a family you know basically it's like you know my sisters are trading on clothes and you know, I didn't trade clothes with my sisters very often, but, I mean, they, but they would wear my T-shirts and stuff. So they did they, start it off with Joan Bennett sitting in the dunce cap with the dunce chair, you know, so they kind <laughs> of stuck with that. I did not. I wonder how old she was in this. This is going to drive me nuts now. Yeah. But I, I really like those details because, you know, for example, that to me makes it more real. Like, for example, if you're struggling economically, well, you, maybe you will be wearing the same clothes for a longer time than maybe if you have a lot of money, right? And... Mm. I, I this is a personal thing. I used to do publicities when I was living in Argentina, and there's sometimes that the director was like, not for example, they wanted to show this instead of doing it in this way that you could see, they were doing like in a crazy way that cannot be real, right? Like I don't know, like as you said, it's like I don't know. I, I love I love to watch a movie and said find those little details that oh yeah, this this is how we should be like more in a real story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it just makes more sense. And it's kind of like, yeah. I guess, I don't know if you noticed it the first time around, but uh, I've seen this film a couple of times. And it's like, I, I didn't know that I, you know, I need to look out for it. I actually did look out for it this time around. I was like, oh my God, that's quite cool, actually. 
Um, what's another thing, another good tidbit, tidbit about this is that George Cooker cast Joan Bennett as the part of Amy after meeting her and she was inebriated. And he what? thought that she <laughs> the inebriated at a party because, oh, that's my Amy. So that's quite interesting. <laughs> Do you also know that this school during the, uh, the, they say during the depths of the depression, it became a, uh, uh, what do you call it? A staple. They, they made the school curriculum show it because apparently it was, it was just so perfect for that time of the depression because they do look sad. They, they do look sadly impoverished from being probably, they probably were well off. I don't know what a minister being well off though. I don't understand how the minister could be well off, but. He was well, well, I mean, you can you can do quite well in a church if you have the right. Well, I know. Well, I'm not saying he's Kenneth Copeland or anything like that, but no. you know, or Jimmy Swagger. But, but you know, I guess they could be. But, some, but, but something happened to the congregation. Well, I guess I guess what it is is that basically is that if you're if you've gone off to war, you're no longer getting the money in from the church, are you? Yeah. Because you're no longer preaching in that church, so you're preaching for the state. So they're going to get all those fancy ribbons and bows on a preacher salary. I think me and you have doing all the wrong things all of our life. We need to start our own church, Keith. Well, if we did, we'd, be, we'd get everything tax free, so it'd be fantastic. Yeah. So, but um, but yeah. So I do think you know. I, I think overall, it's a, it's a nice it's a nice film. You kind of watch, and you kind of you just you just watch, and it kind of washes over you. I think Catherine Hepburn was a bit high octane for for the role of Joe. She's always been high octane. No, the woman has just so much energy and enthusiasm for every role. She attacks every role. Well, I don't know. I understand what you say. It's like when an actor is acting in a movie that is kind of playing a a play. I don't know if if I. Yeah, it's not like a play. Actually, she she, instead of doing like in a normal way, she was like too much. And I think there's no need. Yeah, everything, everything was, even her hand movements and everything that she did is yes. so big. It's almost yeah. like you know, it's it was like if you, it's like she was on a stage production, and you know, I know that she, like she's doing like when she's doing her play production in the movie, Joe's putting on one of the plays that she's written, and she's doing these great big, you know, that makes sense. But when she's playing Joe, it doesn't make sense. When when she's when she's not on that. Stage doing that. Is she still alive? No, no. Oh, no, Catherine Hepburn. No, she died. Uh, oh. Yeah. So she she won't be I mean, able she, to she find us. <laughs> she she <laughs> lasted a long time. I mean, I loved her in On Golden Pond. I really love that movie. A lot of people hate it, and make fun of it. You know, with the strawberries, Norman. You know, <laughs> but I really love that movie. Balloons are on Golden Pond. <laughs> Balloons, balloons, balloons. Like she, she needed to have a way of talking. Like the catalilla is are in bloom. Oh, I know the catalilla is in full bloom. Yeah, I remember the catalillas. <laughs> yeah. I mean, she, she's a good actress. I just think that she was just a bit. I think it's like I guess she probably. I think it's because everyone else's roles are quite toned down. Yeah, that maybe you so. might have wanted this. Yes. Maybe she either they should have brought all their stuff up to her level, or she should have just kind of calmed down a little bit, sort mm-hmm. of thing. Because when I'm reading Joe in the book, Joe is forthright and Joe's very true to her word, but she's not overly. No, no. Over, I mean, you know, she needs Ridlin. 
I mean, <laughs> she does. She's she's like a fidget spinner in, 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 in this role. And I love Catherine Hepburn. Don't get me wrong. Maybe she was dating what's his face, the aviator this time, wasn't she? Or was that I later? I don't know. Um, all I know is that what what should have been an ensemble movie ends up becoming a Catherine Hepburn movie. And it did. It was overwhelming. Her presence was overwhelming. It was. It and, did. And it all did the other sisters away. got lost. It did take well, away from the other girls. Well, we didn't get we didn't get to see Amy in Europe no. at all. We didn't get um, Meg. Kind of gets married. I mean, Meg disappears and then she gets shows up and gets married. You know, yeah. so we didn't get that. We didn't. Um, you know, like I, I just think that they could have been able. They could have like sorted out a little bit more. A little all bit. Became, like, Catherine Laurie as well, which yeah, you know, and maybe you know if you're gonna condense, I know you're gonna have to condense the book otherwise you're gonna have to there's series, no way which they did do a little one they did series, do a good job i thought good. you know everybody got married in the end they kind of swung it around for a good hour and 40 minute movie i mean i i thought they did a pretty good job condensing what they could as far as hollywood goes i mean they hit all the major points and all the the, the ups and downs but if you watch the what's the episodic uh what, is that winona Ryder in it playing joe i think mm-hmm. Yeah, there's, there's they, they do the episodes. That's that's a really good version of it. If people are really wanting to see it further, I really enjoyed that one. I didn't watch it this week, obviously, but I have seen it, and it does a good job. Yeah, with Christian Bale in it. And yes, yeah. I mean, there's also the the 1970s TV version, which is available on YouTube, that stars Susan Day from the Partridge Family. Oh yeah, that um, we talked about that. I totally forgot about that version. That was excellent too. The Brady Bunch, and that I think that runs like eight episodes, and that actually does a very very good job of being quite true. I do think that with this movie, I think if they wanted a better representation of the book, they probably could have cut some of some of story Joe's storylines out. Mm-hmm. And included some of the other sisters, and just so it made it a bit more, you know, because they're because you don't really get a lot of the family together either. You get like you got the beginning with the Christmas, and you got them all together, right? And then yeah, the rest of them is not so much with the family. It's more like Joe, you know, Joe meets Lori. Joe goes to Lori's house. Joe go. Joe writes a story. Joe does a school play. Joe, you know, it was, uh, it was more like that. So I guess that my only disappointment precisely. And I do, and then yeah. the thing is, is like I would have liked to see. I mean, maybe, maybe they had to do that because of Joan Bennett's pregnancy. You know, I'm pregnant, they, they keep, was you know, she? I'm going to have to go look all this stuff up when I get off the computer with you guys. That's going to drive <laughs> me nuts now. I always try to find the nitty gritty stuff, and I didn't see that anywhere. Maybe it's- well, Roger Plunkett created a dress for her character, um, and um, for Amy. But he had to redesign several um, Joan Bennett's costumes to conceal her advancing pregnancy, a condition Bennett intentionally had not mentioned to Cooker when he cast her in the film. Oh, wow. They never gave David O. Selznick any screen credit. I did not know that either. He went well, back to um, RKO. David Oselznick, I think, I think, I, didn't he own RKO or he was one of the owners of RKO? Well, it said that David O. Selznick received no screen credit. He returned to RKO from M- MGM. To supervise the production as the last film left in his contract with the studio, and they never gave him credit for it. Okay. Oh, wow. He was a big name. I mean, Oselznik, he did it all. I mean, what's quite interesting is George Cooker and I um, did an interview about Little Women. He says, when I directed Little Women, I had to develop a new technique to ensure the best results in the collaboration of Miss Hepburn and myself. I find actress Catherine Hepburn is more than a personality. She's a human dynamo. 
without meaning to be, and simply because of the vigor of her own mind and intensity of her attitude towards her own work, she can be, if given the chance, that I would call it an artistic bully. I do not say that I had to decide to lie down to her from the start. A less good picture would have resulted, but a director with a conscience will fight tooth and nail to get the picture he wants it to be. Let me hasten to say that Miss Hepburn and I did not fight at all. I confess freely that I used many weapons in dealing with her, simulated rage, ridicule, and good humor. She has a good sense of humor and is capable of directing it against herself. So this pretty much tells you what Catherine Hepburn is like on stage. And I think it does show that he's, got, you know, he's, he's right. kind of a spitfire that people will say that she was, she was a spitfire. I, I would love to see like the outtakes from this actually. Cause I know that the gone with the wind outtakes are great. Cause Olivia de Havilland, she just cusses. All the time. Well, I, I imagine that for example, when for the writer, it's easy to um, kind of moderate jokes because you know, the, for example, one one chapter is about one one person, the other one is another person. Right. But when you make the movie that the character is there, and maybe the other character is like the actress, let's say it's not strong enough, the personality or how he's doing the thing, maybe that will make also that the other person that is Joe, that is really like vivid and I always have a passion for adventures, is like get over like easily. And plus, if you have another personality of this actress, there is like more. It's like, yeah, too much maybe. But I think that I mean, being fair, I think that that's that's a, a, a mistake of the director. The director should be saying, okay, look, I don't know in this this scene, bring it a bit down, like keep it keep it up, but not not so up that that. Well, the whole apparently that's what he was doing for her, and we still got this performance. Oh, they yeah, yeah, tell her to tone it down, right? He was telling her to tone it down, and he, she was toning it down. So God forbid if you let her have free reign, what, what she could have done. I'm trying to remember um, if the movie was her first movie. I'm gonna have to go back and look because I'm just wondering. I mean, the thing is, I guess, I guess with, I mean, you know, with the character of Joe anyway, Joe does overshadow Little Women the book anyway. Um, it's kind of like Joe, then Mary, no, Joe, then Amy, then Meg, and then Beth comes at the very last because she, Beth is really hard to. There's not really much of a personality yeah. there. But um, so it does make sense that, you know, Joe would, you know, shine through the movie, I guess. But I do think that, I think that there probably would have been a way to balance it out just a little bit more because it did feel like Joe's story. And it does feel like if it's called Little Women, you should just call Little Women Joe's story. And then you could have done Little Women Amy's story. You know what I mean? And maybe you could do the four films of it or whatever. Right. Yeah. The other the other sister didn't get much of a look in, and I, well, Beth was kind of phased out because we really didn't need her anymore, did we? Because she was going to never get married. Yeah, but the thing is, is that it would have meant more if you had if you got some more about her because when she died, it's like, eh. yeah, business as usual see? after Beth dies. I mean, you know, when somebody dies, I'm just like a lunatic for. A while. Well, when she when she's got scar, well, but when she goes when she has scarlet fever in the movie. And the thing is, is like, you don't know if she's going to live or die. Right. And it's like, you should be feeling that anguish. And I didn't, she didn't feel anything. I was like, okay. And then she doesn't die, but she's weakened by it. And then when she does die, you're like, they're crying and oh my God, she's gone. But you're like, that's what I'm saying. It's like, but if we had, you know, we had some more Beth in there when she did go, we would have felt that she was missing, but it's just like, yeah. Now if Catherine Hepburn played Beth, and someone else played Joe. Then, when well, trust me, when Beth died, you would have missed Catherine Hepburn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, no, man. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
telling you, real, <laughs> what, that that's definite. That's a definite. I like Catherine Hepburn, though. I mean, she, no, I, I do. I do like her. I just thought that. She I just she was real strong for this. I could see maybe not not so much Vivian Lee. Who would, or maybe what's her? Somebody would have toned it down more. Which, maybe, which other movie Vivian did she made? What did Catherine Hepburn did um, Woman of the Year with Spence. Um, look who's coming to dinner. I mean, she's in tons of movies. If you look her up, I mean, oh god, Catherine. She's Hepburn a Hollywood icon. Catherine Hepburn is so. Is she was in Casablanca? No. No. No, that... no, that's Ingrid Bergman. <laughs> okay. <laughs> no, Ingrid Bergman. We're going to make you a cinephile yet. So, um, I guess what we have discussed is... Um, Let's discuss the difference between the book and the film, and which do you prefer? Starting with you, Vix. Well, I kind of liked them equally. Tell you the truth, I loved. I liked the book. I can't say I loved it because I, I kind of, I, you know how I feel about towards the end. I just think that kind of lost its shine a little bit because that the rebel in me always appreciates the rebel and in, in in you know in the other person, the insurrectionist in the other person. Yeah. I guess, but um. I love the, I, I thought it was a good book. I think all girls or even boys for that matter should read it. It's a really good, uh, it, it really does protect, portray the time because the author was, was in, you know, indeed in that time and kind of reflecting on her life. You know, the movie, the movie, I, I love the old silver screen stuff. I think it's just pretty to look at for one. And it's just, there's something ethereal about it as opposed to, you know, all the CGI and everything we've got now. And I thought actually they did a good job translating the book onto the, the screen because, you know, they, they had to leave out a lot. We know that because when you get the other, um, the newer versions, you have eight to 10 episodes of whatever. So, you know, they don't cover everything, but I think they hit all the major points, you know, what the point they were trying to get across. And there was a happy ending. I mean, you know, there was death, there was struggle, there was, you know, all kinds of stuff going on, but it didn't leave you feeling like, Oh, I'm going to cry into my pillow though. So I, I think that they both complement each other, actually. So I would say that, well, obviously they did complement each other because they they put it into some of the school's uh, curriculums, this, you know, during the Great Depression. So obviously it, it you know, resonates with people. What about um, you, Sophie, Andrew? Um, well, I, I prefer the book. I mean, um you don't like Catherine Hepburn, we know. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, I don't know, it's like, um, I like the way the Arthur describes things, right? Um, because it's not really like poetically way, it's just got to the, the, the point, and you can have an image in your, in your head like straight away. Um, I don't know, I mean, I like the way... She tells the story, you know, like she's telling you um, what's going on, of course, right? But also, you can imagine the, the how the place could be, you know, where 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 they are. I like when 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 I was reading at that part of they went to visit this family that was for Christmas. I could imagine, you know, how could that room could be, you know, with the said they would have the the windows broken and it was really cold. And actually, I could imagine, you know, what they were doing, the action they were doing. The thing is, like, 
I I have always a theory when you read a book and then you then you watch the movie. As as the author wasn't there when they were doing the movie to say, look, no, don't do this this way. Oh no, they say put the table that that way and this have to happen in that or in that um, way. It's like always you get like kind of like sometimes the the director view of the story or how he wants to tell it and as every person is different if you have I don't know two directors of, of the same probably same book probably the movie won't be the same so in this case I prefer I, I like it more the book rather than the movie and myself um I like the book. I like the lessons that the book gives. I like it that. It has a lot, actually. And I also like that you have the differences of the sisters and the different personalities and with the different personality that each one deals with something, deals with something differently. And, yeah. I, and so I quite like that. Um, the movie, um, I mean, it's a good movie. It's an enjoyable movie. It's a good Sunday afternoon, you know, sitting, it's raining outside. And you rainy day. I watch it on a rainy yeah. day. <laughs> yeah. With popcorn. <laughs> yeah, and, and, you know, it's quite good for that. The only, my only criticism is it would have been nice to have the other sisters have a good look, good looking because it does become like a Catherine Hepburn. Um, it would have been nice for a little more, uh, introspection on the sisters because it was the Catherine Hepburn show yeah and I kind of would like to have seen more Joan Bennett I love the ad I thought the I would have loved to see more Joan Bennett I actually liked her performance as Amy I got real I really got a kick out of it because so used to yeah I think I think I think everyone's really good in it I just think that they they I just don't think that you got enough essence of the other characters to actually feel anything mm-hmm. for the other characters. I, I just felt like this is Joe's story. And now the thing is, I've never seen Little Women before. Anyway, I've never seen the other, the Winona Ryder one, or the 2019 one that came out, and I haven't seen the miniseries either. I'm not a fan of historical films anything that anything that's like got swashbuckling in, pirates and errol flynn and I, all that good anything stuff. that's got people in costume dress i tend to stay away from we can't I mean, be I, friends anymore costume yeah. dress we're horror aficionados i mean everybody's got costume dress <laughs> i'm not but then again i'm not really a fan i'm not really a fan of those um you know the horror hammer horrors or anything like that either i've seen them but I'm not a huge fan of those kind of things anyway. So, but um, I mean, I have watched them and I do, you know, you know, but I'm talking about general, generally speaking. I get so you. I tend I get to you. stay out of the You know, it's a, you know, it's a bit like a Pride of Prejudice. I'm, like, I'm, not, I'm not watching that. They're in old fashioned clothing. I'm not watching, I'm watching costume drama. <laughs> <laughs> well, I remember when, when my sister used, uh, we used to watch these little women. I think it was a cartoon. I, I was really small at that time. I don't remember if there were maybe, I don't know, like, 20 episodes or I don't know but it was really interesting because it was it was kind of like you know the anime drawing mm-hmm. of, of the yeah. story and I don't remember much I do remember that were like I remember Joe um and they were like I remember how they were dressing so when I was reading this I could have an image you know like of the clothes of how they could be uh dressed in that time mm-hmm. and yeah, and I, then I saw this movie. I haven't seen the other one with Winona Ryder and all the other ones. So, yeah, I don't know. So, so I really got nothing compared to it. But I think overall, I think I think if you have a daughter out there and, and you want to read her a bedtime story, reading a chapter of this every night is a good way to go. 
I think it's uh, that's an excellent idea. That, 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 that is a good idea for people listening. It is a good bedtime story. Yes. You know, you've got yeah, because like, each, each episode chapters. is not, uh, <laughs> not <laughs> each epi- uh, chapter is not really, really long. So, yeah, maybe I don't know, like in 10 minutes. I mean, it's, it's a beginning, a middle, and an end. Each story is, isn't it? It's like, yeah. yes. Yeah. Each, each one has their little adventure, and then by the end, you're, the, the adventure ends, and then you move on to the next. Followed by Jaws and the Exorcist. In all this time that has been uh, reading here books with you, that books that are like um, short, like uh, like paragraphs like that, you know, like are easy easier to read because you can, for example, put it away and then you come back and then rather than when the story is really long, then you need to something. I don't know. I need personally to go and. Maybe you know one page and to catch up again and then carry on. Mm. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it's an easy oh, read. It was a very easy read. One of the easiest that we've had so far this season. So, yeah. well, that brings us to the end of Literary License podcast and uh, and our coverage of Little Women by Louisa May Alcott in the 1933 film of Little Women. Our next classic novels will be going down the drug-filled alleyway known as Alice in Wonderland by Lewis Carroll and the 1954 Alice in Wonderland. And of course, through our drug-filled month, we'll also be covering um, Ticked <laughs> and Stung. So it's going to be a druggy month for everyone. In Ju- Yay, um, my in favorite July. month. <laughs> um, next week, we'll be covering Bewitched, season two, episodes one through four. And of course, our double feature films are Attack of the 50-Foot Woman and The Incredible Shrinky Woman, two spectrums of womanhood. And of course, <laughs> we'll be covering, finishing up with Dark Shadows, and that's, that will conclude this our month of June, which is the Women's Month. So that's why we're covering Little Women and the other films that we're covering. And as I said before, um, our next classic novels is Alice in Wonderland, the classic Lewis Carroll, and the 1954 Disney version as well. So it's good night for myself, and good night, Vicky. Good night, everybody. Stay safe. Good night, Leandro. Good night, everybody. Take care. See you next week. We'll be Witch Season 2, Episode 1 through 4. I'm not just one of your many toys. You don't own me. Don't say I can't go with other boys. Ba, 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 ba. And don't tell me what to do. 